This is Shortly Talks, and today I want to talk to you about something related to Scrum and facilitation, and that is the fundamental attribution error. So this is a, a cognitive bias that we all have, and um, if you know what it's uh, about, please keep listening and tell me if you would explain it different or if you have different strategies of uh, mitigating it for yourself, for your team. Uh, if you don't know what it's about, well, then I hope you find this useful. So what is the fundamental attribution error? Well, um, you might have noticed, for instance, in traffic, that if someone cuts you off, you start thinking, oh, they're just a total dickwad or whatever other curse words you prefer. So you have this judgment of them and it's mostly their personality that you think is responsible for their behavior, right? And if you yourself make a mistaken judgment or uh, something that has the same observable effect of cutting someone off or not giving enough space to uh, get in uh, uh, when you're trying to uh, get on the highway, for instance, or uh, whatever other stuff you can do uh, in traffic that hinders other people. When you do it yourself, you're more inclined to um, attribute it not to your personality. You most often don't consider yourself to be a jerk, right? Uh, but to circumstances that you know, like, oh, well, I'm just a bit off today because I had a, a bad night or I had a fight with my uh, partner before I left home, so I was distracted. Or There's always a good excuse, basically, a reason why you're, uh, that you're attributing this behavior to. So this makes sense because you... Um, really know what you are thinking and what you're going through. You have the complete picture. However, when you're observing behavior of someone else, especially someone you don't know well, like this jerk in traffic, right? Then you, by definition, don't have the complete picture. So you um, far easier go to, oh, well, this person is just so-and-so. This is just their personality. And uh, it's not often that you start thinking about, oh, well, maybe they just had a bad day and they were not paying attention because their parents are in the hospital or something like that. You don't go there. For yourself, you know this. But for people you don't know well, you, you don't do this. So this is also the trick to uh, do this less because with strangers, when you're in your car or on the bike and you're just... Uh, um, judging these people in your head based on their behavior, these people that you don't know, that's not a big deal, basically. I mean, maybe the only big deal about it is that you um, get worked up much too much for no reason at all, because basically nothing went wrong, right? But um, that's the only harm. However, in work relations or in a work environment, especially when you're working in a, a large company. Uh, for instance, I work at the Dutch police. We have lots of employees. 
I don't know every employee, but I and uh, even the building I work at, there's lots of people I don't know or don't know really well. I might have seen them one time before or have been in the same queue in the restaurant, but that's about it. So in those cases, when someone cuts in at the restaurant or uh, does something else that you're bothered by, uh, it's still pretty easy to think, okay, I know a lot of colleagues, most of them are fine, but this guy or this girl is really a jerk. It's easy to go there because you don't know them. You don't know their context. You don't know their story, even though they're colleagues, right? You don't know them. This can be unhelpful. This can be unhelpful because sometime later you might have to work together on something. And then you've already predetermined in your head that this person is a, a jerky kind of person. So you will frame all their behaviors in this view. That's a risk because uh, very, very possibly they are not really jerks. Um, and the, then your way of perceiving them makes them jerks in your opinion. And if you then encounter them and um, respond to them as if they're jerks, uh, then they will be triggered because then you will be probably be a bit jerky too. And then this creates a negative spiral. So preventing this on personal level is um, mostly about uh, creating empathy. So uh, basically using a bit of imagination, a bit of fantasy uh, and saying to yourself, oh, well, uh, if I did this, display this behavior, what would be my reasons? And then you can have a fantasy about what that people's uh, reasons would be. And that makes it less judgmental of the jerkiness and more consider about how uh, you view other people and that they have struggles too, probably that they didn't do it on purpose to mess with you, right? Because that's the way you can feel sometimes. Another thing is if you work in a team and you don't know each other very well yet, you don't have trust established yet um, or shallow levels of collaboration only, because for instance, you always work remotely or you're working with a new team, then this can also be a problem. Because um, if you don't know someone's context yet, you cannot take that into account. And it's also harder to fantasize or imagine what the context could be. So in this instance, um, some facilitation techniques can help to also help your team um, have a better empathy for each other, have a be better uh, view of the context of the other person and uh, um, their emotional world, basically, um, and their motivations, needs, and uh, thus what drives their behaviors or reactions sometimes. So a very simple thing at the start of a session is to do a check-in. This basically does two things. It sets the tone for the session. Um, you get everybody speaking a bit, so later it's easier to speak up. That's that's one part of the the, the check-in that uh, you can do at the start of a session. But for the fundamental attribution error, it's also about getting to know a bit about the context. So I like to, at the start of a session where uh, people don't know each other yet, 
or uh, have not seen each other for a long time or are still new to working together to let people uh, share about how they are sitting there and and i don't mean their position right but i mean uh, what their mind state is of sitting there and we've had for instance the uh, in a training setting with colleagues but colleagues we didn't know yet uh, as trainers that we did this for a guy that came in late and the guy said well i've just had a terrible terrible fight with my ex-partner and uh, I'm just oh, I'm just so happy that I'm here now, but I'm also a bit still pissed and disappointed and sad that this happened. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's that's how I'm starting this train. So then we could frame his reaction or being distracted from more more of an empathy kind of viewpoint. So that was helpful in not being too strict on him and making it worse basically how he felt and making his behavior even worse by being very strict on oh why are you distracted aren't you committed to being here and being like with the pointing finger right so that that helped so the check-in is something you can do and um uh, make it um possible to say no also so if you do a check-in and you ask people how are you sitting here and they say oh i'm fine and you ask, okay, can you elaborate a bit more? And uh, why are you fine? Are you really fine? Whatever, because you feel something's not right. And they say, well, I don't want to go into it. That's fine too. So that's, it's optional. And if people want to share, it's helpful. If people don't want to share, it's fine too, because there's no safety yet, right? You don't know the group, so don't push on it. Anyway, that's enough about the check-in as a, as a method to address or to start building empathy and uh, start building a bit of trust that people are doing their best, right? Um, two other things that you can try in facilitating or in creating a facilitation plan are to um, use some liberating structures. And I want to highlight two liberating structures. I will put these in the show notes, of course. Uh, but if I don't, remind me. And also feel free to... Uh, mention your liberating structures that you think are helpful in building trust and uh, empathy in your team. But the two I want to highlight are, um, well, the most important one I want to highlight is for, for getting a team to get more empathy for each other is heard, seen, respected. And the basic gist of this facilitation technique is to um, get time get a talking time and listening time, uh, which you normally won't get. And this comes back in a lot of liberating structures um, to really have attention listening before you respond. So it's in some other structures as well. And this one it's extreme because in this exercise, um, in the, the exercise as it's written down on the site, it's in pairs, you get seven minutes talking time and the other has to listen for seven minutes and just listen. So also no clarifying questions, no, oh, I recognize this, no, stuff like that. Just listen and the other person talks and when they get silent, they get silent. And most of the time, if people get silent, they pick up again later because they start thinking about stuff. Um, and then the other person goes seven minutes. And then after that, you uh, reflect in groups on how it was, what it felt like what you learned, etc. So this does two things, in my opinion. 
Um, one, um, it gets people to share stuff they wouldn't normally share. So you get m learn more about people's uh, mental um, uh, thought process, people's mental th thought process. That's double, right? People's thought process. You learn about people's thought process. And uh, the other thing is that by um, really listening, you are also practicing empathy. You're practicing not judging too quickly. You're practicing um, to really, you're listening to understand basically this is the, the assignment. Um, and this also practices empathy. So by doing this, you learn more about each other, you practice empathy. And this means in future interactions, you will be less likely to judge those people's behaviors as uh, being jerky behaviors because they have a certain personality and you will be more uh, understanding and more likely to think about, oh, they must be just having a bad day or something like that. So, and this bit, of course, builds more positive interactions. The most extreme example I've experienced with this was with a group of people when I was still working at ProAwareness. And we did this as a team building exercise and we changed it a bit and we had as a team, uh, we listened to each person for seven minutes. So not pairs, but the whole team of five people listened to one people talk, one person talking. So this took a bit more time, of course, but we really, uh, the effect was much stronger because we heard every team member's thoughts uh, and ideas about this point in time, about this thing we were discussing. And um, we, uh, it was also much stronger because this one person felt really listened to by a group of five people with undivided attention. And that is quite heavy if you've not experienced it before. It can be emotional. So this is um, doing this with a full team, something I recommend more for teams that are a bit longer together. But doing it in pairs can also already be a quite good experience um, and, uh, and give, give good insights. The second liberating structure I want to uh, tip, and then we'll be rounding it off because we're already in about 14 minutes in, but I hope you still find it interesting. The second liberating structure, structure I would uh, try to improve empathy and uh, minimize the fundamental attribution error is the conversation cafe. And this is an interesting one because the conversation cafe is uh, for having group conversation about a topic. Um, and it's basically, you have like f five to seven uh, people per group. You have a talking object, which has a special um, purpose. But some people don't like that. You don't have to use it. Um, but it helps because not only does it bring clarity in the facilitation of this, uh, this technique to make very clear who is talking and who is not talking. So the rest should be listening if they don't have the to talking stick, right? And this is something that's also used in kindergarten and other, other places, uh, because it's really clear as a facilitation technique, the process makes it really clear. An added benefit, which I've been thinking about just now, and uh, uh, I hope you see this too, and it's not just something I 
made up and it's not true. But what I see, yeah, the benefit is when I observe groups of people using this uh, object, talking object for this kind of facilitation. So person holding it can talk and the rest has to be silent. What tends to happen is that the person talking looks at this object um, also as inspiration, but also maybe to find stability for their um, for voicing their opinion, um, find a bit more courage in it. It's, it might sound a, sound a bit odd, but having this object in your hand can really make you think clearer and talk clearer, basically. Um, it's a bit like some people when they're in a meeting, they are always fiddling with a pen or whatever. Uh, this helps clear the mind, right? So having this object, being able to focus on it, not focus on all the people looking at you, <laughs> Uh, can can help you uh, focus on what you want to share and how you, what you want to say. And basically, the conversation cafe has a few rounds. And the first round is uh, everybody talks for one minute about the topic or answering a question, uh, a prompt, uh, which we have in liberating structures. And um, you only talk for that minute while you have the object and then you hand it to the next person and you go to the whole group. And then after this, the second round, you can react to each other, but still only talk when you have the object. And then the third round, these rules are let go, basically. And um, you go on and talk in uh, for about 20 minutes just about the topic. But then everybody at least has had two rounds of sharing their own thoughts for a minute uninterrupted. So this, again, builds um, more insight in each other's mental processes, each other's thoughts, and also um, builds empathy by really listening to each other. And there's a few rules extra in this um, facilitation technique. Um, and uh, people are reminded before we start to suspend judgment as best as we can, respect one another, seek to understand rather than persuade. So if you're going into the open discussion, uh, use that very much. Um, also invite and honor diverse opinions. So uh, it's not about who is right. It's about finding multiple perspectives, right? Uh, and um, try to speak from your personal perspective. So uh, don't say what you think others want to hear, but say what you want to say, what you really think about the subject. Um, and also try, and that's a nice point to round it off, to go for honesty and depth without going on and on and on and on and on. Well, a subject has clearly reached a certain point already of being clear enough or having made your point, right? So that's basically it. And then after that uh, third round of free, lively conversation using these agreements, it can also help. Uh, it's uh, advised actually to appoint one person per group to uh, keep in mind extra these rules and remind people of them if they uh, transgress or uh, forget about the rules. Uh, so there's also some group checks so you don't have as a facilitator to check all the groups all the time if they're doing it right. Uh, and then you, of course, share the takeaways. Uh, what was it like? What did we learn? Uh, what what um, is, is there a general consensus or a direction we're heading in with this problem or this question or this statement that we want to take away? Um, 
So that's basically it. So now we have the fundamental attribution error, which means for other people's behavior, attributing it to their personality, often a negative way and judging it, etc. And for your own behaviors, um, knowing the full context uh, that you're living in, being more rational about it, basically understanding and uh, seeing cir circumstance more as a driver of your behavior or, or as, a, as an influence of your behavior than uh, your personality. You don't consider yourself a jerk most of the time. There are exceptions, of course. You know who you are. Um, and how you can use certain facilitation techniques, a simple check-in, two liberating structures I pointed out, but there's probably more uh, to, uh, to help a group or your team to learn to get more empathy and uh, suspend judgment, basically, um, and really listen to each other and know more about each other's context, but also uh, have by that process more imagination and empathy for other people's context. So this is a thing you can train. I hope this was useful. Um, if you want to learn more about liberating structures, about facilitation techniques, uh, and, and things you can use as a scrum master or facilitator working with teams or as a team coach, uh, please uh, follow Shortly Talks on Instagram, on your favorite podcast provider. Uh, give me a like, share this to people that might find it useful too. And um, yeah, let me know what your approach is to building empathy in your teams and preventing the fundamental attribution error as an individual or for your teams. Uh, I'm curious to learn more ways because there's always more ways and I'd love to learn. So let me know. This was it. Thank you for listening. Shortly talks and uh, maybe catch you tomorrow. Bye.